Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 208th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast who surfs the waves of risky specs so you don't have to. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as usual, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. I'm sure you're feeling refreshed and tanned after your recent travels. Yeah, just got back from uh, 10 days or so in Oahu, uh, both North Shore and uh, in and around Honolulu. Pretty impressed. Uh, Island of Oahu is uh, all that island paradise it is hyped to be, despite the very large commercial presence on the South Shore. It only takes about half an hour to get out to some of the most beautiful beaches in the world, and having MTG Finance pay for that was certainly fine and dandy. Can't, uh, can't be upset about that. How much uh, Worlds did you see? Well, there was only really one day where Worlds was open to the public. So that was the day that I attended. Uh, it was the Sunday during the uh, the Final Four, I guess it was, um, where they had to play through that really weird ladder structure um, where it wasn't just like break. The ladder wasn't just collapsing. You, If you were at the back end of it, you had to win more matches than otherwise. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't understand what was going on. I just knew that people were like, <laughs> uh, apparently the guy who was doing well played five matches all weekend and the guy, other guy had played like 15 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they said they took it from like fighting game tournaments or something mm-hmm. uh, where like if you get knocked into the lower bracket, you just end up having to battle way more to prove yourself. At yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why Magic needs that. Uh, as opposed to just playing, you know, five game matches and running the bracket through. But okay, um, was it was it a losers bracket? Like, was it if you lose, you then go into the losers bracket, and then you have if you win the losers bracket, then you move into like the quarters or the semis of the normal well, bracket. You, then you moved. Then well, then you you had to work your way through. Like I think Paulo played somebody who got knocked into the next bracket and then had to play, would have to win, win, win to get back to him and meet him in the final, but then had to win more matches than he did. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even just best of five. Once you get back to him, you had to beat him more times than he had to beat you. Um, something like that. It was it, honestly, it was the hardest part to follow of being there. Otherwise the whole setup was pretty impressive. I mean, it's, because it wasn't, there was no Magic Fest associated with it. It was just, it was much more of a TV studio environment than anything else. Um, they only had about, I want to say, 100, 150 chairs set up around it. Um, but the setup was was really impressively done. Like, beautiful stage design, lighting design. Um, and they had monitors all over the place so you could watch the games playing out on Arena um really great swag bags for everybody that showed up so like just being a random you know magic the gathering fan in oahu was a complete no-brainer to walk in the door because you got a magic the gathering like 
drawstring tote bag and then 10 booster packs i think it was like six theros packs three mystery booster packs which go for like 20 dollars plus right um and a collector booster pack which is also 20 dollars plus so and you got the crucible of worlds worlds promo which i sold three of this week for 55 dollars um so basically having me, Alara, and Ellie walk in the door got 30 packs, three bags, three promos. They gave crap to and, your daughter? Oh, yeah. And not, not everybody that walked through the door. So if you had a family of 10, you all got the stuff. Um, and it wasn't that packed. So I would imagine like if you tried this on the East Coast, they might just sell out. Like you might just, if you didn't show up early, you might just not get a seat. But in Oahu, probably a pr- more mild <laughs> magic community overall, it was busy, but it was it was never like you had to wait to get in. Like there was a security checkpoint, and if you walked out the door, you had to go back through it again, but there was never any wait to do so. Um, and because Alara is A, named Alara, and B, cutest button, she got extra packs every time a employee spotted her, so we ended up with a pile more of those. Although she was expressly instructed not to give them to daddy because they were definitely hers. TRGR, buddy. TRGR. <laughs> um, so I, I figure it was like per person worth about 150 just to show up. Like you basically got paid to be there. Um, and I don't They were giving like random giveaways throughout the day too, like to encourage you to stay in your seat. They were they, every once in a while they'd hand out another pack to everybody. So, and I, we didn't, I didn't, couldn't stay for the finals because we wanted to surf that day. So finally it got to be about, I think, 2.30 or 3 in the afternoon. And we were like, oh, okay, if we want to make sunlight and get to the North Shore in the next 45 minutes, we're going to have to hop in the car. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether there was additional giveaways, but all in all, uh, a great experience. Great to see great players play the game at the top level, at least once in my lifetime um, on the world stage. You know, get some free stuff, help pay for the, for the surfboard rentals for the week. And then... Also picked up a World's Playmat, the one with the Hawaiian flowers on it, and got it signed by six of the attendees, including our world champion, uh, the Brazilian powerhouse, Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa. Um, so, giving that to my pops once I see him. Uh, yeah, like walking. I mean, it's pretty nice to walk in the door and get paid $150. Hard to complain yep. about that. Yeah. So, yeah, Worlds was cool. Um, Wahoo was awesome. Fantastic food. Fantastic shopping beautiful beaches lots of surfing got our ass kicked on regular occasion uh that humbling experience is always good for the soul having the ocean just chew you up and spit you out Mm. so yeah uh certainly recommend trips to that part of the world well the last 10 days here have been like 30 ish degrees and raining (laughs) on and off which uh for those of you familiar with middle of february in you know, upstate New York, Toronto area, uh, you know, the Great Lakes area, getting 30 degree-ish, 30 to 40 degree weather and rain in the middle of February is basically the best possible weather you can hope for. Yeah, although I, I hear tell we're getting a 25 or 30 centimeter storm on both sides of the lake tomorrow. So uh, get ready for that one. It's going to be right back to the uh, ice giants asshole around here i yeah i was just checking the weather it doesn't seem like it was going to be that earlier it said it wasn't going to be that bad uh in fact like not even freezing tomorrow but thursday it looked like it was going to be a little worse <laughs> this is now the great lakes weather podcast 
<laughs> yeah. All right. So you and Cliff had fun while I was gone uh, and and had plenty to talk about. And yet there is so much more that has come up just in the five, last five or six days because Wizards is on that never ending hype train. It is feast or famine around here. Some weeks you're just like, I'm not sure what to talk about. Like we're asking our discord for suggestions for topics. We're like literally nothing has happened in seven days. And other times it's like, oh, OK, there was an announcement on Wednesday and Friday and Monday. Yep. All right, so uh, maybe we can lead our, our folks in here with our usual spiel. Oh, yeah. Did you guys know that I'm looking forward to sharing valuable information with all of you? Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. What is on the agenda this week? Well, this week is a show in four parts. Segment one, our top movers, we will look at the cards that have moved the most in price this past week. Segment two, our cards to watch, we'll review some of the cards that we think have a positive outlook. Segment three, our metagame week in review, we will talk about the Star City Indie Open for Pioneer. And finally, for our topic of the week, we're going to try and touch on all these announcements. We've got Jumpstart and the Aquaria Box Toppers and the new secret layer, the, the women's secret layer. Um, so a lot to touch on here. So let's get things started with Cloudstone Curio out of Ravnica non-foils, um, 28 to 38. Cloudstone Curio is uh, great in commander, also popular in casual circles where it can do some fun stuff. I'm sure it's been the cornerstone of many 60 card kitchen table table, kitchen 60 card kitchen table decks, especially before it was $30. But given that it's the only other printing is from the Invention series out of Kaladesh, uh, the non-foils here are definitely reaching non-casual price levels. This is one of those cards that has a pretty high chance of a reprint. Not necessarily tomorrow or the next day or even for Commander Legends necessarily. But it's in a weird position now because the price point is so high that you might have to reprint it at Mythic. I, I suppose so. I mean, really, the thing is, this is one of those cards where it's like, yeah, this has been prime for a reprint for nine years. You know, like Oracle of Maldiata World of uh, Zenikar has been prime for a reprint for like how long? Uh, and it just doesn't seem to ever come. But one imagines that they'll get there eventually. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, yeah, and at, at, at a supposed $40 a copy now, yes, you really would have to do this at, at Mythic. That's, you know, that's not far behind like where Crucible of Worlds was getting printed. I also, looking at the like price line for this, going back to say 2013 ish when these were $3. I find myself wondering whether this beat Google stock advancement from there then till now. <laughs> Three to 40. And what year did you say? 2012? 20, 2013. Uh, so seven years. So a 10x multiplier in seven years. I don't know. Google was already pretty big by 2013. Let's see. 2013 Google was 
three four hundred and it's thirteen eighty six now. So that's only a four and a half times. So Cloudstone Curio was about twice as good as Google. Yeah. Um, minus minus fees and the assumption that you <laughs> could ever go deep enough to match what you could have done with Google. Right. Which you couldn't. You're looking at buying a hundred thousand dollars worth of Cloudstone Curios and like even that's <laughs> not, low. Not necessarily let's just say this that the limit on Cloudstone Curios you were likely to purchase might have been a couple play sets. <laughs> and the 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 biggest brick you could you probably would have been willing to commit to if you were some kind of crazy Cloudstone Curio fan is maybe a hundred copies. So so you you basically would hit your limit on Cloudstone Curios for the price of one Google stock. There you go. Yeah. I mean, which is which is normal for any physical collectible by com- in comparison to the stock market. Scalability, liquidity, definitely downsides to collectibles. The great thing about it is, though, you don't really need to be that deep on any one thing to beat the market. Yeah. Yep. So that's the story of magic cards in the stock market. All right, so next on the list here, we got a card that I called out on February 7th in the ProTrader Discord Best Ideas channel. That's a channel we set up for our ProTrader listeners who don't have uh, an abundance of time to parse through the hundreds, if not thousands, of posts that are put up per week in our Discord. Um, So we have a Best Ideas channel now that allows people to... Uh, you know, dip in, get some of the best advice they can from our team and roll on out to take advantage. What I pointed out there was that getting to the trials was already drying out. Uh, we called it a mop-up uh, uh, notice, which is basically the card is on its way to a 15 to $20 price point. There are copies in the 8 to $10 range. And sure enough, here we have them posting up at around 14 or $15, probably headed for that uh, destined 20 Getting into the trials is shaping up to be a pretty potent card in Pioneer. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that persists over the next couple of years because as Pioneer is a fledgling format that is going to be shaken up frequently, unlike Modern, which definitely didn't adjust as much as often, especially prior to Modern Horizons, it, you know, it was a much more stable ship because of the size of the card pool. Uh, with Pioneer shake, getting shaken up so often, you're likely to more likely to see combo decks rise and fall. Uh, and getting into the trials is a very good answer to those combo decks since it lets you throw down a Gideon, pop off the emblem, and then force a combo deck to find a way to resolve it and then kill you, which is... A hard lock against some decks and obnoxious for others. So I can see this being a go-to anti-combo type card that also has some additional value in Pioneer for quite some time. That's a good point. Like I'm in the short term, I'm worried about it that Inverter will get targeted, uh, Dig Through Time will get banned. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and or Breach. Um, if Breach gets looks better than it does right this moment. Um, you know, those those two decks staying in the forefront of the format creates the demand for Gideon in the short term. Now, if one or more of those decks is either neutered or not good enough any longer, um, you know, either not good enough because the meta shifts or because they suffer from a banning, then Gideon could fall off the radar for a little while. But as you said, 
another inevitably given how much they're pushing cards we're going to get some other combo deck in the not too distant future and gideon might be valuable again it's also as a mythic uh very highly themed mythic tough to print yet again given that it's got what three printings or whatever um via various promo uh additions so i think it's probably safe for another year or two before it's going to catch a reprint and so i think the that 20 dollar target is still a pretty solid uh adjunct i agree i agree uh it's lotus breach today who knows what it'll be tomorrow all right Next on the list, we got Swarm Yard out of Time Spiral Block. Near Mint going from 50, sorry, uh, non-foil going from 15 to 20, 21 dollars. Probably on the back of Secret Layer Rats being a thing. Could also have seen some movement from the announcement that I think there were going to be, there was going to be an insect theme in one of the commander decks related to Ikoria, uh, if I remember that correctly. So Swarm Yard, of course, regenerates uh, rats, insects, and a couple of other uh, creature types, uh, and hasn't seen a reprint in quite some time. Um, so not particularly surprised to see it gaining some ground here. Yeah, uh, especially because there's virtually no copies, um, and it's not the first card we've seen show up here because of Secret Layer Rats. It was uh, last week... Two weeks ago, we were talking about Locust Miser, uh, because which is a Savior's of Kamigawa rat, and there was no other reason other than Rat Secret Lair. Oh, and it was uh, Rat Colony three weeks ago out of Dominaria. Yeah. So definitely some uh, sustained demand out of that, it would seem. All right, next on the list. Following that is Metallic Rebuke, uh, Foils from Aether Revolt. Uh, about 350 to 550 for maybe 50-60% gain. Metallic Rebuke is seen both modern and pioneer play. Definitely showing up in those Urza lists that are all the rage in modern right now. Although uh, I did see a list earlier that looks like they're basically tossing Urza out for Lotus Breach. Or Underworld Breach. Um, but the is it in soul decks, but you know, in, in either format can make use of metallic rebuke. So metallic rebuke seems to be essentially one of the premier counter spells. You've got uh, the anti blue counter spell mystic something or other and metallic rebuke that are the, uh, the go-to counters in these formats. Yeah. The nice thing to remember, thing to remember in this era is that prior to course at 2020, of course, foils were significantly more rare. So it's a lot easier for a foil uncommon from three or four years ago to take off if it's, uh, under, you know, in, under pressure from multiple competitive formats than it would be from anything from the last year. Yes. Yeah. That these fall on the right side of that time frame, and it's going to be, we're going to have to make sure we keep that in mind. Because it's going to be easy to forget that some of these foils are so much better than others. The, the thing that I'm questioning, however, is whether foil people that were prone to foiling out competitive decks, which were already a niche within that market, are excited to have access to even cheaper foils. You know, all of a sudden foils are way cheaper for them. Or are just moving off of it towards extended arts. So I've, I've started to throw up some... Uh, surveys here and there on twitter mining the four thousand plus folks that that follow me there 
to get a better understanding of how the market is responding to the various premium options. And I think it's going to take us some time to sift through all of that data and data from other um, other sources and get a sense of where things are headed. Um, I can tell you this much. Packfoils, I do question whether Wizards threw away the equity of Packfoils as something special too quickly. But time will tell. Yeah, Cliff and I talked about this last week. I don't know how much of it you caught. But that Wizards was burning, had basically burned pack foils. Oh, it was two weeks ago. Had burned pack foils, uh, and it was worse for the player overall. Um, but maybe if people don't n- notice or it doesn't impact the sales, then it won't matter. Hmm. So, like, here, here's an here's an alternative paradigm they could have gone with. Let's say that collector boosters didn't exist. Um, but they introduced a blanket price increase on regular boosters of another 50 cents or 75 cents or something. Um, but they took all the stuff that's in the collector boosters and they just made it variants that would exist within regular booster boxes. So you could get the regular card or you could get the foil or you could get the extended art or you could get the extended art foil. Now you've got tiers of all this stuff, but none of it is more populous. In fact, all of it is rarer than pack foils used to be, but now you've got choice. That might have been a different way, to, another way to go that might have fulfilled objectives more, more uh, efficiently. But hard to say. There's a lot of moving parts inside those discussions. Yeah, it's, it, 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 there's a lot going on. And, you know, without those numbers, it's hard to speak to all that but um yes and, it, but and the, where we are now is that pack foils are way less valuable and impressive than they were and it just becomes a question of like who were they for mm-hmm. um because it an argument can be made that the reason that anybody wanted them in the first place was because they were the fanciest version you could get and if you liked the fanciest english version you got pack foil english and if you wanted to be even more blingy than that you would go get russian foils or japanese foils or whatever or maybe you got a, a a promo foil um but now it's it's kind of like they're worse to play with they're more likely to get get you kicked out of a competitive tournament cause game loss or whatever have to be replaced and you've also got these extended arts and all these other secret layer promos and stuff coming at you so you know what what space do they occupy who who wants them anymore yeah um you know the co- collectors the people like my dad just feel completely overwhelmed because they're just being like being told to triple up on their collections which is just crazy um and you got to wonder how long that's going to go on before they're just going to say you know what i'm going to focus down to just such and such or just fall out of the mix entirely uh yeah i uh tweeted earlier today that you know when i saw the the new secret layer cards pop up the the females females i sound like a ferengi yeah. you're, being, you're being very weird about the females the, part when i when i said well there's more to that but when i saw the the, the new secret layer i was like it kind of struck me I'm like i'm glad they're doing all of this now because if they had done this seven or eight years ago when I was like deep in the heart of this 
and I was, you know, hauling my trade binder everywhere and shoving it in front of everyone, I would have been trying to collect everything. Like I would have been probably buying the full release of every single secret layer and trying to get all of the one copy of every single uh, masterpiece and the extended arts and ultimate masters. And it would have been like, this is so, so much so fast. I can't keep up. And it would have driven me nuts. And I would have been like, forget it. I'm not even going to try anymore. Um, after I had spent way too much money doing it. It is exhausting if you try and keep up with that stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So Grand Coliseum was next on our list. Foils from Onslaught going from 10 to $20. Not because this is a fantastic land in, in Commander and Casual. Um, there are plenty of City of Brass-like cards out there. Um, but it's only ever had a single foil printing and only two printings total ever. I think it showed up in Commander 2016 as a non-foil. And then... You know, that Onslaught printing was nigh on 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Not been around. Haven't seen a Grand Coliseum in quite some time. And and maybe we won't, right? Like, I don't... Wizards doesn't have any major impetus to be printing it. So it's the kind of thing that would probably be most likely to show up in some kind of specifically themed uh, secret layer drop or something, really. Um, or another com- commander deck could be a, a location for it. But again, unlikely to be a foil there unless it's in secret layers. And secret layers are only only about 50-50 to be foil or not. So Yeah, it's like the the 19th card out of like a 20-card special product. Like the FTV realms, which was all lands. This could fill sure. the like $2 slot type of thing. Um, and they did print it in Commander 2016, but never again. So, which tells me that, like, people didn't care that much about it. Like, they brought it out and the demand, people didn't, weren't really that happy, so they haven't bothered to return to that well. So, I'm not saying you'd never see a foil again, but the odds of it being a foil and also being a good foil and not something like an FTV foil seems even lower. Um, so, I think those original foils are certainly going to hold strong. The problem is... You know, they're like 20 bucks. People aren't going to buy them very often at all. I mean, it'll probably retrace towards 15. Um, so I don't expect it to really, I don't expect you to, I don't expect it to retrace too far or for it ever to really be threatened. It's just the volume of people buying foil grand coliseums every day is probably measured Low. in a decimal place. Yeah, this is the kind of thing where if you snapped one up at 10 last week and now it's supposedly 20, you might get 18 for it, but you might be waiting four months to do so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you had 100 of them, you would just never get out of it. So it's one of those positions where you want to be real shallow, if at all. Yep. Um, Next on the list, probably the most important mover of the week, even though it's not the highest percentage gainer, Croxa Titan's Hunger out of Theros Beyond Death, non-foils, going from 9 to 17, more or less yesterday. Um, it showed up as a two of in an SEG classic winning list at Indianapolis this weekend in a Jun deck where, um, so the premise being Jund might run two copies of Croxa moving forward. However, that's not enough to justify this kind of motion right now. A couple of people in our discord were like, CC modern cards can move. And I was like, nah, this isn't modern cards. This is people responding to this, then adding on the fact that it was a top three commander on EDH rec. 
and just generally looking at the price gap between Uro and Croxa and saying, hey, if Uro can be this high, Croxa could probably be half Uro, and currently it's at a quarter Uro. So why don't we go super deep, buy three or 400 copies, clean out the internet, and see what happens. And I'm almost certain that's what went down yesterday. Um, by the time we picked up on it, starting to evaporate, it was well near the tail end. I'm sure our Discord members mopped up another 40 or 50 copies. Um, and by that point, more or less every major retailer was out um, on regular copies, EAs, and EA foils got pushed up uh, a decent amount yesterday too. So this is going to be an interesting test, uh, especially on the EA uh, non-foils, because we haven't really seen a great EA Mythic get pushed hard by multi-format demand. If you think back to Throne of Eldraine, the most relevant uh, premium uh, alt art was the Borderless Oko, which was, of course, also available in regular booster packs. It wasn't a collector booster exclusive at all. That was limited to the showcase cards and the only two... Uh, sorry, the non-showcase cards. And that was mostly the you know Great Hange, the Cauldron, etc., and only Great Hange out of those has shown any real uh, potential. Uh, really big time EDH card that has also shown up in some Pioneer and Modern lists. Crocs, on the other hand, and Uro, I mean, Uro is absolutely everywhere. So its extended arts took off shortly ago, a couple weeks back. And all versions of Uro have are sky high. I think you called, you made some crazy call like 45 to 70 the other week or something yeah you guys enjoyed giving me a lot of shit for that but it, i said 45 to 70 the cheapest copy is now 58 dollars uh and there are roughly less than three play sets under 70 yeah i mean i i i would have given you 45 to 55 and would have felt uncomfortable at 60 so if you actually get to your 70 mark that's going to be pretty interesting because very, very rarely do we see an imprint mythic as young as Uro make a move like that. I, I was asking, like, somebody was calling it a $100 card yesterday on Twitter, and I called in Paul Fuedo to say, like, what do you think about this, Chief? And he said, like, that's pretty tough. Outside of a summer set, like a Jace Friends Prodigy type scenario, really, really tough for a mythic to push that high. So I don't know what the real limit is on Uro, but I can tell you that it is everywhere. All over standard decks, pioneer decks, modern decks. It's important in EDH. It's a casual card. It is the the grand slam. It's everywhere at once. Well, I you know, and I'm not trying Yeah, you know what I am. I am gonna go back and defend that from three weeks ago. Um and because I, I saw the same thing. I'm like, well look, this is like a top ten, like top three or something card in standard. It's showing up in Pioneer. Uh, people realize that you can play an inverter deck and put Uro in it and you get a plan B, which I'm like, that's even better because at the time that had just shown up and I haven't been scouring um, Pioneer lists to see if, you know, how much that's taken up residence there. But I was like, well, if 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 we're kind of at the point where it's like, oh, it turns out the strategy is take something of a combo deck and then put an Uro package in it to give you yourself kind of a plan B. Um, it's going to increase in play in the format even beyond that. So I looked at it, I'm like, well, I mean, this is 
like top standard card, top top pioneer card, probably doing some work in modern, probably doing some work in EDH. Like I'm not talking about the pack mythics, but you know, you've got the the cool art version for the competitive players. It didn't seem didn't seem outrageous. I'm actually realizing now that I've made a mistake. Like I, I thought you called the the regular pack version. I missed the plus sign that you included because it's so unlike you to be calling extended arts instead of pack pack versions. So if your call was forty five to seventy on the EA version, which clearly was, uh, I can get with that. Okay, actually, yes, that that's what that's what it was. Yeah, I, I yeah, mean, so I, I, sorry, I I I was on the road in between beaches. Uh, taking note of that so right spoke loosely um i'll apologize in the discord <laughs> it's fine it's, uh, it's fine it's fine uh because no I, i'm uh, in the same boat i would not expect a standard pack mythic to be reaching 70 dollars. like that's even bane slayer bane slayer angel was 50 that was a huge deal right jace friend's prodigy had like a window where it was over 70 right but i think and that was real short uh, in general, that happens so, so rarely. And I agree that, you know, it has to be a Dragon's Maze type situation with the Voice of Resurgence or a Somerset for that to be reasonable. Yeah. Okay. We're on the same page. Okay. I, I think Uro could get to the 50 to 55 I mentioned earlier in the fall on the back of it being far enough away from peak supply, but still necessary for standard. Um, these EAs, as you said, are in the like high fifties and starting to like, there's a little bit of a race to the bottom, um, and a bit of a retreat as people try to out the copies they've got. Um, I've got copies of a variety of types. I'm not sure where I want my exit on these yet, but it might just be soonish just to get a really great short-term exit. Okay. Yeah, it's. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Uro has a chance to be one of the most valuable cards in recent memory. That would have been a wild yeah. price if it was a Somerset card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, then we could be pushing 100. Um, so back to Croxa. Pr- almost certain that speculation has outpaced demand here. So... Well worth keeping your eye on the real price of this card moving forward the next few weeks. I want to see how buy lists respond. I want to see how the market fills this back in because there's going to be plenty of people that have opened this in drafts and pre-releases and booster box openings and stuff. They just had singular, you know, one or two copies sitting around. And at 8 to $10, they weren't super motivated to go sell them. But if they hear that they're now supposedly 20 and there's a gap in the market, they're going to start buy listing them. That's going to push buy lists back down. Etc. I'm also just not convinced that there is a strong enough demand pattern because there isn't. It doesn't have the Euro the Euro play level. It's not a four of simultaneously in multiple formats. It is a two of maybe in modern if you believe in that version of Jund. It's there are decks floating around in both standard and pioneer that have uh, attempted to make use of the card, but none that are dominating in the way that decks that are using Euro are dominating. So keep your eyes on Croxa to see what is possible um, for in-print mythics and extended art versions thereof. Moving right along, we've got Vorinclex Voice of Hunger. This is a foil mythic out of uh, the much-maligned Iconic Masters. Foils going from 25 to 50. 
7,000 EDH rec decks, 5% of all green decks on there use it. It's only ever had two printings, the original one and the Iconic Masters one. I think original printing was what, New Phyrexia? Uh, yes, yes it was. Yeah, and New Phyrexia foils are actually available in the $35 to $40 range. So if you don't like this $50 price point, feel free to tap those uh, earlier ones. It also makes me feel like somebody went after these uh, since they seem to have forgotten that the original foils were cheaper um, at a at a certain point. This is a, a big deal card. I don't think it's easy to reprint. It could catch a reprint anytime in the next, say, one to five years, but who knows where or when. Um, yeah, I, I would expect that these, these to hold a 45 to $60 plateau for a while. Um, but be aware that as things move up to these higher price tiers, they, they sell more slowly and people look at non-foil options, etc., so I wouldn't want to be super deep here, but I think I'd be, if I got in on these at, you know, the 15 to $25 range, I'd be happy to have a few on hand. Yeah, the, the danger here is the, that green command commander set, right? That's supposed to be coming out. That yep, we don't true. have a card this list the, for. The commander, FTV commander green cards. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I think you're probably safe for a little while at least. Th- this could easily show up in that set too. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Like Warren Clocks could land there, which would take the wind out of these sales. But if it doesn't, yeah, this will definitely sit at the forty-five, the sixty range. Next on the list, we got Sheldock Isle at a Lorwyn single printing card foils going from fifteen to say thirty-five. Let's call it anywhere between twenty-five and forty, depending on your acuity at unloading them. Hundred percent plus gains uh, because this was this showed up in a modern inverter of Truce deck, uh, a list that went 5 on Magic Online a couple of different times this week. And that deck was running basically the, the same Thassa's Oracle Jace Inverter package that the Pioneer deck is running, but they were also running... Let me see if I can track that down. Uh, three Pact of Negation, four Angel's Grace, four Serum Visions, four Spoils of the Vault, four Pentad Prism, three Talisman of Dominance, three Wishclaw Talisman, worth noting, uh, four Phyrexian Unlife, and then a bunch of lands. Um, the idea here is that you can use, uh, Spoils of the Vault to find your combo faster. Angel's Grace can stop you from losing the game, as can Phyrexian Unlife, and Wishclaw Talisman can help you go find pieces you're missing. So this is kind of an all-in combo uh, attempt in modern circles. And going 5-0 multiple times, if we see it do that on camera somewhere, related cards are going to move. Yeah, this is, I mean, we're talking about a modern list here, right? So, you know, listeners over the last month or two know that I am lukewarm on this type of thing. Sheldock Isle. Didn't this get reprinted? Not in foil that I'm aware of. No, I guess not. Okay. Didn't I swear some of these got reprinted? But maybe not. Um, Yeah, I mean, that original foil is probably not going to flinch much now that it's that high. And it'll retrace down to 25 or 30. But I expect it to be reasonably sticky. It's also good in the mill decks as much as those happen to get played. Um, Again, your issue here is going to be volume. 
Yeah, I, I picked up, I think, one or two copies on eBay around 14 the other day. Um, just to test. Like, can can this card be sold into hype around a modern deck? Um, see To see. Just this is to see. I don't have a lot of confidence, for instance, in Croxa moving the, the needle um, based on a two-of in, in modern Jund either. But a lot of this depends on what you know, what happens with some of the other pieces in this deck that are crossovers into Pioneer. Um, which leads me back to my Dig Through Time pick from three weeks ago, which I am now somewhat regretting. At the time, I made it pretty clear that the deck needed to be good, not dominant, for that to pick to be valid. Now we're looking at a situation where it's pretty clear that it is dominant, not good. So <laughs> could easily be that Dig Through Time is not where you want to be. Um, and I hope that people took my earlier comments into consideration when deciding whether to move in on the card. I would guess that not too many people did, to be honest, because the value of the card has not spiked nearly enough to justify its current usage. I think because, you know, basically since the day Pioneer was announced, everyone's assumed it's going to get banned sooner or later. I don't recall the conversation we had and where I was on it at the time. But I know uh, it came up with Cliff in the last two weeks. And uh, my position was this deck has gone from curious to clearly very powerful. Cause you know what it was is because it had that breakout performance at the double pro tour weekend. And then it did it again at Phoenix and I was like, okay, this had a target on its head going into the Pro Tour the next weekend, and it still had, like, the best win rate. So this is legitimate, and it's probably going to be an issue. And when the bands come back around, I don't think they're going to go for Inverter of Truth because, like, Inverter of Truth and Thassa's Oracle, kind of cool. It's not a especially fast combo. Um, you have to resolve a four mana creature and then resolve a two mana creature, which is a little harder to put together, or a, or a four mana creature and a four mana planeswalker. So, like the combo itself doesn't seem like a problem, but dig through. If they decide it's too good, the problem might just be like dig through time. So, I think if anything in that deck is going, it's dig through time. I don't think Cliff was fully on board with me, but uh, yeah, ultimately, I would suspect that if anything goes, it's dig. Um, because that, of course, was a card that Wizards, I'm sure, had on their radar from before Pioneer was public. Um, but Aaron did make a comment on Twitter last week or something about how Pioneer bands, reminding somebody that Pioneer bands were on track with all the other formats and that they no longer had a time frame, but they would try and give a week announcement ahead of time when they were, were going to make a change, I guess which seems odd now that I say it out loud, and also that there was nothing in the pipeline as far as he knew. Announcing announcements is funny because if the bans are obvious, then you've essentially just moved the ban up a week mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because everybody knows that it's probably something related to um, the inverter deck. The, the question is that, you know, are they trying to get rid of the archetype? In which case you might go after Inverter because it. I don't think they can. They'd have to rely on something like Leveler or something to try to replace Inverter, which seems unlikely. Um, Dig just seems to depower the deck, but not kill it because you could put in 
draw through dreams or treasure crews and they would be strictly inferior because dig through time is that do it all card that both eliminates your graveyard and draws you to your combo but there are other spells that could you know keep the deck alive as like tier two or tier three um but if they'd want to just kill it they might go after something else they, they could also just target dig because they know that whether this is the problem like whether you know this is the 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 high point of its potential uh, dominance in the format, they don't really want to get to a point where three or four decks are running it. Yeah, and I, I think that's what it is. Is they look at this and they go, okay, well, we could ban inverter, but that wipes out an archetype that doesn't necessarily need to be wiped out, and at the same time, uh, we have dig through time in the format still, which could continue to cause a problem. Or we could get rid of dig through time, which we know has already started to become an issue, will probably be an issue down the road, and it lets us keep this kind of funky combo deck in the format. And when you think about the types of decks Wizards is, is getting rid of, regardless of which format, they kind of fall into two camps. There's decks that are conceptually fine, but just too good, and there are decks that are conceptually not fine. So what is the difference? Well, like the mono green devotion in Pioneer that had the have that suffered three separate bannings or something, that was conceptually fine. But you know, there wasn't a problem with the way the deck fundamentally, it was just too good. The other side of that is eggs. Like that was a deck that Wizards just did not want in the format because it was bad for tournament logistics, bad for spectators, bad for everyone. So that was a that, that was not an archetype they wanted to keep. They just want that gone. And Inverter Truth is definitely the former, not the latter. Yeah, cuz Inverter people that play Inverter decks like feel like they're playing a, with or against have reported that they feel like they're playing magic. Like they're you're you're not just dead, you can play them. Like in, and you can beat them. The deck has just seems to be good enough to have an overall edge in the meta um, despite being targeted fairly hard whereas the underworld breach deck has kind of fallen off the radar in the last week is my understanding um, and may not survive in the format or need to be dealt with like breach is probably going to be a problem if not now some point but maybe that the moment for that is not now but as we're going to get to in segment three inverter is, is looking significantly stronger bottom line shell dock isle uh foils very hard to come by lauren lorwin foils in general hard to come by um so shell dock isle foils will probably be fine um just from their you know combination of modern inverter where i think it's a lot less likely to get banned by the way like people that have this deck if it's viable in modern will just keep the deck and move it over to modern yeah if, if they have a modern scene available to them yeah um, and then you might see an increase in demand for Shell Dock Isle along the way. Um, finishing up our list of top movers, Nebelgast Herald uh, out of Eldritch Moon foils from $1.75 to $4.50. People are starting to foil out those spirits decks because Pioneer uh, White Blue Spirits uh, is a fairly consistent performer in the, in the meta, um, is very unlikely to be caught up in any of the forthcoming bands that might go down that would be more likely to be related to Inverter. Um, and is already this this card is the 25th most popular card in Pioneer at the moment. So, and I, I didn't I've taken note of a few different people talking about foiling out their spirits decks lately in our Discord and on Twitter. So I'm not particularly surprised to see movement of this type. Yeah, uh, this seems fine. And this isn't the first blue white foil that we've seen bump so far. 
Um, probably won't be the last. I'm not sure how much mileage you'll get out of these. Um, but th certainly people are buying them because they've been moving. Feels like a slot that could be lost yeah. at some point. So, yeah, I, I don't know if Spirits is a Pioneer mainstay. It seems like a mainstay for now type of thing until it gets replaced. Kind of like Mono Black Aggro just disappeared when, what was it? I think it was Inverter that basically pushed that out of the format. Um, and, this could this could be like humans and modern present for a long time and then fading away as the the, the power level of the format rises. Yes, yeah, I don't know where it's going to go. Either one of them is is possible. But I, I think that for twenty twenty spirits is blue white spirits is likely to be around. Um, you know, a very pushed power curve notwithstanding. Um, final card on the list: Reap out of Tempest. This is an instant that draws you uh, cards from your graveyard. Uh, returns cards from your graveyard equal to the number of black creatures your opponent controls or permanents. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, in theory, moved from three to nine dollars. This is from the pre-foil era, so there are no foils. It's also never caught a reprint outside of I think World Championship decks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but most importantly, Josh Lee Kwai called this out as his favorite card on a recent episode of uh, Favorite Cards from the staff of the Command Zone. It's a single printing, 20 years old, so it basically immediately tripled. His favorite card, period? Yep. And it, and he led off the episode, so that's what happened here. Well, there's your de facto fourth branch of the wizard's government. Yeah. Command zone can certainly move markets. I mean, I think I, I checked in on that episode today when I was doing research for the cast, and that episode had been viewed 115,000 times. And Reap has been out of print for 20 years, so didn't take a whole lot of people to wake up and say, hey, maybe I want a copy, or maybe I want to spec on a couple of copies to chomp up the 30 or 40 copies that were lying around. 115,000 kind of... views is a lot of views. Yep. And this that is... You know, more than 20 times the number of people that listen to this podcast. So take that for what it is. Well, the other way to look at that is we get one twentieth of the listens as uh, as they do. Sure. Yeah, you can inverse that as well. That, that sounds better. That sounds better. <laughs> that makes you feel better. Um, they're a lot less niche than we are. Commander versus MTG Finance is not a contest. Yeah. Well, let's get started with segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, my first one was a little surprising to find, and um, I don't know about you, but I have found, I've, I've looked for non-foil cards, because I know people get cranky about the foils, but they're much harder to pick than not, than foils, just because uh, you basically have to be, that. I feel like the non-foil picks are much more speculative than foil picks, right? Well, it's also it's also a function of... The best picks, period, in MGT Finance right now are bricks we buy from Europe, many of which have instant arbitrage opportunities to buy less. Beating those returns with a Tuesday night what's on, like, what's hot tonight pick is going to be pretty tough. Yeah. Not everybody has access to ProTrader. Not everybody has access to Europe. Um, so the best of the best is is not what everybody can, can gain access to. The other thing is that, you know, yesterday I was on you know, I picked up a handful of Croxes during that madness uh, in non-foil, but tonight that opportunity doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. 
I, I, it's just, you know, it's it's so much easier for foil inventories to move enough that the price move, jumps, but non-foils tend to get so much deeper that you basically have to look at a card and go, okay, there's 300, 300 vendors, not even 300 copies, 300 vendors, and the card's $1.50, and it's not seeing any play, but I think that this card will be good. So you should buy it. Um, I mean, I did that a lot back in the day, but I wasn't getting paid to tell people to do it. And I also, the market looked a lot different than it does today. Well, non-foils don't don't make a pick less risky. Like I called Dig Through Time non-foils episode 205 three weeks ago. That the risk profile of that was dependent on how well the deck did. Oh yeah, (laughs) I think... with the deck doing super well, whether I pick non-foils or foils isn't going to make much of a difference in the end if it catches a ban next Monday. Yeah, I think non-foils are actually riskier in that it just, like, I feel like in order to to position yourself to be able to hit the margin that makes any of this worth it, you have to rely much more on speculation. Whereas foils, I can just look at the the pricing, the mark, you know, the demand and the supply and go, yeah. Like, this is pretty obvious. Case in point, my first pick this week, Beast Within, talking about foils out of Battle Bond and Conspiracy. Beast Within is in 46,000 EDH rec decks, which makes it the, uh, let's see, within the past two years, something like the uh, 12th, 15th most popular card in the entire format, and that's battling against a lot of artifacts. Um it is very highly chosen, right? Like this isn't just a card that is popular from the past. If you look at both top EDH cards this week and the last two months, it's high on the list. Um, it was in the mystery boosters. So the foils are not getting reprinted in the store boosters. Then you hop over to TCG player and there are three three total foil printings. There's new Phyrexia. The price there starts at 24 four dollars and your battle bond and conspiracy copies start at about 850 and i think there are roughly well let me double check here i think there might be 20 copies between both printings and one of them includes a guy who's got him already listed at 11 or 12 bucks and that he's got seven of them so the supply on these foil beast withins uh, across two different editions is very low relative to the new Phyrexia ones, which are twenty five bucks, uh, and it's an extremely popular card. So like, yeah, this card's going to be twenty bucks, right? Like, get your foil battle bond conspiracy copies now because it's not going to be eight fifty in a month. Yeah, I can I can get with the I don't know if it's going to go from eight fifty to say fifteen in a month. But if it dodges the green commander product this summer, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it probably also dodges commander legends because it, the mystery booster convention edition and LGS edition are in theory in print all year, so it would be really weird to reprint this card again in non foil in commander legends, especially since there's so much they probably want to be doing with that set. They're going to have to pick and choose. There would definitely be some important reprints there, but they're going to have to pick and choose what they include. So stuff that already saw another reprint of some kind during the year is not going to be high on the agenda for that set. 
Um, so we really just have to fade this FTV product. Um, because that FTV product could easily include this, I wouldn't want to be super deep here. But snapping off, especially if you want a personal copy, time is now. That's fine. You might not even end up liking the FTV foil treatment or whatever they're calling it. Um, it's not FTV, but it's the equivalent. Um, so you might want these foils anyway uh, instead. It could also show up in, in a secret layer type release. Um, that would be another risk. Um, but I wouldn't mind having two, three, four copies at this price point looking to get out at 15. The the green commander thing is totally fair. And I forgot. I even mentioned to you earlier, but I I think I thought about it while I was writing the, when I was looking at Beast Within, but I forgot to put it down in my note. And I forgot by the time we got here. Um, do we know? What is the release date for the green product? Do we know? I think it's June. Do we? Uh, so they're probably not going to spoil that until like two weeks beforehand, if that. Yep. So you've got, yeah, then that's four months away. I mean, frankly, that's, that's, I mean, you could theoretically buy the, if you got, if you got lucky, you could buy these now and then turn them around in May. If the I numbers even, worked out in your favor. I could even see non-foils showing up in an Ikoria commander deck because mm-hmm. the whole uh, theme on Ikoria is like the plane of beasts or whatever. So Beast Within fits perfectly there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then they would be reinforcing that this has been printed to death in non-foil, and then the commander deck, the commander product, uh, green card foil printing becomes the biggest risk, like an additional spotlight on it. This would see it would make a lot of sense to see this in uh, the Aquaria commander decks for sure, and would probably take the steam out of the fo- another foil reprint too. So I don't I don't know if it does or not. The they could easily go double double up the non foils and then do the foils in the green commander product. But the there's a, lo- a long list of green cards that could end up in that product. So who knows? Yes, I agree with you. It's it it feels like every week we were talking about some green card that could show up in the commander product and you know to be wary about it. So they can't. I'm gonna be, be wor- I'm gonna be working on an article soonish about. Like the increase, the heightened risk of reprints. It's been talked about for years, but this is the first year where, like five years ago, when people were like, oh, master sets, too many reprints, they're going to crash the market. It was largely nonsense. But this year, there really are a lot of reprints. Like between Mystery Boosters, the new Jumpstart product, Commander Legends, and I'm hearing whispers of another product coming out late summer um, that hasn't been well defined yet there's a lot of reprints coming our way um secret layer as well uh Um, yeah no short no shortage of uh of venues for these cards to show up again we're just gonna pack up the cast and move on and talk about something else it's gonna become a bitcoin podcast (laughs) mausoleum wanderer foils is my next pick uh, sorry, guys, another foil. 6 to $12. I think this is pretty likely. Um, it's 20 most, 20th most played card in Pioneer currently. Again, the Blue-White Spirits deck is very unlikely to be targeted in a ban. We've been seeing other foils from this deck uh, gain momentum. Mausoleum Wanderer is a four of in the deck. The foils are foil rares, and they are only $6. It seems a no-brainer to me that these are going to get 10 to 15 yeah, I mean, we were just talking about the fact that Mausoleum Wander, or uh, I'm sorry, Nebelgas Herald was a foil blue white card that popped and 
how these cards are likely to keep going. So this one is also well positioned. Um, and as long as the Blue White Spirits deck keeps doing well in Pioneer, I don't see why this isn't going to hold its crown there. And Herald is the same set, but it's an uncommon, and this is a rare, so they shouldn't be the same price. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Uh, probably, uh, what, a 7-to-1 or 6-to-1 ratio or something of supply. Mm-hmm. All right, your next pick? Yeah, so second one of the week. I, this one's a little dicier. I'm going to own that right now. Um, but I'm looking at Nykthos, uh Shrine of Nyx, on a longer time frame, like six months to a year. Foils out of Theros. They're currently $35. Now, uh, if you look over at the inventory on TCG Player, you've got, there's only 15 vendors. Um, the, the number of people selling copies between 35 and 50 is like 10 people. Um, so, you know, you go from 35 to 40 pretty quick and then 45 to 50. Uh, there is a guy with 24 copies, 24 foil Nykthos. And I kind of wonder, like, was that... And it's not a well a well-established vendor either. They only got 86 sales. So is this they, a new... they went they they bought a lot of Nyx foils at one point and just got caught in a sweet spot. I, I'm sort of thinking that might have been the case. Like that's the best that that's the Occam's razor here for me. Um I also see that the car Nykthos, Foil Nykthos kind of jumped from 20 or 25 to 35, like right before Theros. So there's already movement on the card. So, you know, the the one guy with the, with the kind of the deep st- stack and also the recent price spike makes me nervous. At the same time, it's in almost 30,000 EDA track decks. It's all, still only got the one printing. You're seeing green, Devotion to Green and Devotion to White both doing well in Pioneer. Uh, and it's, you know, the single printing, I, I mean, all the, all, you know, I feel like I'm kind of split on it. Um, but overall, I think I'm in, I like where it's looking. Uh, the only thing I'd be worried about is a reprint and some funky product, you know, kind of adjacent to Theros because it's Nykthos and they didn't put it in Theros beyond death proper. Uh, but even still, you know, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic and I'm going to go see if I can find, any cheap copies for myself. I think if you can get a, a 10% off coupon from 35 or 36 and you're in the low 30s, a few copies is fine. Th- this guy being 24 deep is a road bump on TCG that's going to take a while to work itself out. And he may end up ending up as an anchor. I mean, th- this is a classic mistake, right? He should not be listing 24 copies. He's clearly, people in this position are either silly or they're trying to show off, both of which are not good for them. Um, because what happens if I'm going to sell, I don't sell on TCG, but if I was, and I saw this guy listed with 24 copies at 38, I'm going to immediately list below him because I don't want to wait for him to have to sell all 24 copies before I get a chance to sell mine. So he's basically creating a hard ceiling. If he listed them four at a time, people, somebody might say, well, you know, maybe somebody will buy a playset from him and then I can list mine at 40. And he- that kind of price management theory is important if you want to sell on these platforms because sh- showing how deep your inventory is does you no favors because no very rarely is anybody looking to buy out a $40 foil 24 copies at a time. This guy's decision to post all 24 copies and also the number of uh, sales he has leads me to believe that he is just somebody who spec'd on this at you know ten dollars or whatever 12 bucks. And he, he checked his binder one day and he was like oh 
<laughs> no, I think I think he no bad specs. He 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 picked up advice from us or somewhere else <laughs> or or came got to it on his own. Um, of course, it had to be us, but and probably bought at ten or twelve bucks or whatever when he heard about Theros Beyond Death. And he bought a bunch of them, you know, he's, oh man, this telling all his friends, this card's going to be awesome. Oh, it's going to be great. You know, I've had this conversation with a ton of people at local stores about a ton of cards and occasionally they're right. Uh, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to sell them all now. Um, so just somebody who doesn't really understand this, but I agree with you. He should absolutely not have them all listed because my, if he had only had, if he only had one listed, I'd be like, this is a slam dunk pick. You should buy yep. these. And no one would be the wilders that he would have that many kind of stashed there. And that's important to keep in mind is that when you're looking at what is supposedly a slam duck pick, conversely, if we only saw single copies listed 15 and a good ramp, we're going to say that's a good one. But you'd never know whether a guy like this just hasn't gotten around to listing his copies yet. The real inventory in the market, keep in mind, is always many magnitudes larger than what's even on TCG. TCG having 15 copies of something does not mean there are only 15 copies in the world. It means that 99% of them got captured by the attrition principle we sometimes refer back to. And they are just sitting in closets and under beds waiting to be recovered. Yeah. I mean, whenever we talk about, you know, inventory levels, it's not, oh, there are only this many in available you know in the world or what have you but you know it's an accurate reflection of like what is the current market liquidity it's not to say that more of them won't show up especially on the weird spikes um you know inventory levels suddenly come out of nowhere because it's a you know inverter truth like yeah there weren't that many listed because why would people be listing their inverter truths for 70 cents and then the card gets really popular and the inventory actually goes up significantly because, you know, you have all these people who are selling copies now that they weren't. In any case, I think Nykthos is generally a good choice. I would go in for one or two copies, most likely. Um, that's kind of where I am at the moment on it. The most likely reprints is whatever the next master set is and Secret Lair. Yeah, Secret Lair. It could, we could get one of those too, you know, like three months after Theros or something or when the next set comes out, they go, okay, well now we're going to do another kind of bridge secret layer product that has both some Theros stuff and some Aquaria stuff or whatever. And at the rate they're doing these secret layers, uh, I expect that to be announced in the next 25 minutes. There's also like nine different devotion based pioneer decks in different colors that Mm -hmm. make use of this card. The most prominent right now that's doing the most work is the mono white devotion builds that are running three copies of it. Um, this is, of course, built around the Heliod Suncrowned and Walking Ballista combo. And that combo seems playable, but not busted to the point where it's going to get kicked out of the format. Um, and that's a real nice place to be if you want to move some cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, and that's kind of what I was thinking was that the, it, there's an, even if this did kind of spike based on the Theros prospect of devotion the continued use in multiple pioneer archetypes is probably going to be good for it and i did sell a korean foil nykthos for like 65 dollars a couple months ago so yeah I, i've so, sold i've sold several foils and non-foils since pioneer was announced yeah um, card card has people had to buy them to play them um all right my final pick of the week is dryad of the elysian grove 
take your pick. We'll call it, we'll say that officially it's the extended art foils at 38 or so to go to 55 for, say, a 45% gain. Um, but if you don't like extended art foils, despite them having a relatively shorter supply and steeper ramp, you can take a look at the, the non-foils. I think that this is an interesting case study because I think that it is more or less the Emery Lurker of the Lock of the set. Um, a rare from a standard legal set, printed into extended art, um, not showcase, so not, not available. Extended arts are not available, obviously, outside of collector boosters. And it has a better overall demand profile, I think, than Emery. Weaker and competitive, but not unplayable. We've already seen it in Prismatic, Omen, uh, Valakut decks, and so forth in Modern. Um, but stronger in Commander, where it might matter more. Um, there's been a lot of talk in our Discord lately about when the right time to make a move on Extended Arts is, if at all. Because a lot of the ones that people were targeting early early on in Throne of Eldraine's release pattern for Collector Boosters have drifted down since. People were paying $80 to $100 for foil uh, Emery's out of the gate, foil extended arts, and they are down to the in the $40 to $50 range um, at this point. Uh, let me see what the lowest on TCG is right now. Something like, yeah, $40. Um, but... Supply is not super deep on the Emery's now. So in deciding whether to call Dryad, I took a look at what the Emery pattern looks like months later. And the Emery foils, though you are down, you've lost 50% of your value if you bought in at $80. Now that they're at $40, they're they're facing like a steep ramp. Like, in fact, it's not really $40. It's probably more like $45 because the total number of $40 copies is pretty low. And then ramping up into 60 within, say, another year or so seems reasonable. So on that basis, Dryad is already in, uh, it's the number one card in the set on EDH Rec. Um, it's the third best-selling extended art from Theros on TCG Player. Um, and the combination of those two things leads me to believe that the Dryad foils having a pretty similar ramp and price point to Emery suggest, at an earlier stage suggests that its demand profile has moved it up the price movement curve a little bit. So you can get these around 38-ish, 38 to $40, maybe a little lower with a coupon somewhere. Um, and then you'd be looking to get out on these, say, in about a year. Um, there are 33 listings for foil extended art Emery's. There are 34 listings for foil extended art Dryad's. And I am very, very curious to come back at these in a year and see whether they are static or they show the kind of movement I think they're capable of. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, I get where you're coming from when you say it's the Emery, but I actually think it's better than that because Emery is more competitive than casual and Dryad is more casual. Um, but I'd rather have the casual side of that equation. You know, that's that seems well, is going to move well, more cardboard. Well, for me. and Emery, Emery isn't a card that fits in a whole bunch of different decks in each of these competitive formats. It's in very specific artifact focused decks in both competitive and commander. Whereas Dryad is just in decks that want to cut, like want to play extra lands and have easy access to rainbow mana. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that 
Dryad is definitely better casually. I don't think we have to debate about that too much. Um, and there's also the outside chance that Dryad is better competitively because it is going to do work in anything like escape shift or similar type strategy. Um, you can get some real funky stuff out of that card possibly, um, that, you know, there's some doors that can be opened. It potentially has a competitive chops that Emery does. will also have that EDH backing, uh, foil extended arts at 38, I think is pretty reasonable. That sounds like it's probably, it probably sounds to some of our listeners like it's on the high side of things. But at the same time, you're talking about what could easily be the most popular card from Theros um, in not too long. So is it that crazy of a price? Like, will these be $70 extended art foils? Maybe. I mean, I don't see why that's impossible. I just don't think it's going to be a quick flip. Like I don't, I think that a card that is more commander focused is definitely a longer term spec hold. So if your if your goal in twenty twenty from DG Finest is you want to flip into arbitrage from Europe within three weeks or something, this is not your pick. This is a buy this now, put it in your go ahead, put it in your deck, and sit on it for twelve to eighteen months, and then check back in on the price appreciation and maybe downshift into a non foil copy if you feel like reaping the rewards. One of the things I like about this is looking at the stats. There are 66 listings for Emery Extended Art non-foils, and they go for about 9 bucks. Dryads are already at 46 listings and go for about 12 bucks. That says to me that the overall demand is stronger right out of the gate and likely to stay that way. And I think that if you can get non-foil Dryads in the 10 to 12 to $13 range, you know, wait for a coupon on those, etc., then... Targeting those to go to 16 to 20 inside 12 to 18 months seems very reasonable as well. Yeah. And I we do need to keep in mind that, you know, this ex- whole extended art type thing is still very fresh. Theros is three months old. Um, so, you know, we sorry. don't have a... F- hmm? It's like eight weeks old or so. I'm sorry. Well, okay. Throne of Aldrain. It is four months old. Four months old. Thro- Throne of Aldrain, the first sort of iteration of these, is only four months old. So yep. what is what are they going to look like at, you know, eight, nine months? Well, we don't have that data yet. Um, a year. So I, overall, though, I, I think I, I like this. I definitely like moving on. It's not going to be fast, but I would be surprised if it fails you just because I expect this to be essentially the most popular card out of the set. Um, you know, when we get six to eight months out from Theros. All right. How about this one for a listener pick? What do you think about Ishkana Graph Widow foils? Uh, there's like 11 pre-release foil vendors on TCG, plus maybe f- like middle teens, regular foil vendors. All major vendors except Channel Fireball are out. Shows up occasionally in the Sultai Delirium decks. Uh, there might be a spider theme in the Ikoria Commander decks. Say for the... Huh. Go. He's calling it 4.5 to 10. This is Smart Player 524. And he's thinking that it's a combination of competitive play and commander demand if the Symbiotic Swarm Ikoria deck is insect-focused. Well, I will give him credit that the supply is real low. I mean, there are 10 foil vendors on TCG player right now for the Eldritch Moon copies. 
mean, that's that's the type of thing where it's like, even if I think it's crap, like the numbers are so good. How do you how do you argue with that? You and, know? It's a, and, and you're talking about a foil mythic at 450. Yeah, that yeah, that has a ramp that that has a ramp that goes pretty quickly to at least 12. Yeah, I don't I don't fully. I guess I guess when I look at this, the rationale behind it is immaterial. Clearly, there is demand for this card. Uh, although, you know, is it demand from speculators? I don't know that. I don't think so. I would imagine no one's bought out Ishkana hoping to make the needle move, but it's possible. It's, it's not it's not a card to go a hundred deep on, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't hate it. I think it's solid. I think it's a solid choice. I could see having picked this myself just based on the supply. I'm curious how popular this is in Commander. What is it? What's the I'm gonna play level on EDH much for this card? Not much. So you, you can't rely on Commander, but it also means that there's very little risk of it showing up in the green Commander set this summer. True, um, true. So you have a modicum, you know, a onesie-twosie competitive play for a foil mythic that basically almost doesn't exist. I don't think that's speculatively driven. I think that's probably casually driven, right? Um, I mean, I, the thing is, I don't know what casual player really wants this. Like, it just seems like who's trying to play this card. I, that That seems odd to me, too. I can see a big weird spider selling well. Yeah, I mean it's not like they have. There's going to be no casual demand, but that doesn't strike me as the type of card that tickles so many casual players' fancies that it's. And we're talking about foils too, right? Like casual players don't buy that many foils. I think. I wonder if this might. I don't know. I don't really have a great answer for where the demand is coming from. Maybe it's just a a, a cross section of all of it. You know, I was kind of putting it together. Hmm. But in any case, I don't hate it. And in fact, there's some Channel Fireball copies and I have Channel Fireball credit. So I might even dip and grab a few just to hedge. All right. So uh, smart player 254. That We'll use that as our listener pick of the week. Let's move on to the metagame week in review. Biggest tournament last weekend was SCG Indie, which was an uh, SCG Open uh, for Pioneer. And... This is where my dig through time pick gets pretty dicey when you got, I think it was four of the top eight uh, of the decks at the event were inverter decks. No, hmm. it was three of the top four. Demir Inverter in the hands of Peter Ingram won, uh, won the tournament. Second place was also Demir Inverter. It was also fourth place and eighth place in the hands of Collins Mullen. So four of the top eight, the other decks in the top eight were Azorius Control, Mono White Devotion, uh, Golgari Aggro, and another Mono White Devotion. The Golgari Aggro deck is probably the most interesting deck to come out of the tournament. That was the one that had four Elvish Mystic, four Llanowar Elves, four Lovestruck Beast, four Rotting Regisaur, four Scavenging Ooze, four Steel Leaf Champion, three Galta Primal Hunger, two Ronus the Indomitable, three Rishkar Pima Renegade, two Yorvo Lord of Garenbrig, uh, four Collected Company, and two the Great Henge. Um, and believe it or not, uh, no Nykthos Shrine to Nyx in there. Hmm. Probably too slow. I mean, if he's playing Rotting Registar, he's trying to dump his hand, right? 
Still seems weird given how many green pips are on the table in that deck. Yeah. I suppose, but... Yeah, if, but if you're not trying to play a long game, you know, Nykthos might slow your, your progression down in the early game because it doesn't make green. This deck is just looking like turn three, drop a 5-5, five, five, and then into Great Henge or Galta and go crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's nifty. Um, Rotting Registor is pretty sick. Uh, and we've talked about Galta, those promos in the past. Well, if you go like turn two Rotting Registor, then your Great Henge costs two green and taps for two green. <laughs> so that's pretty nice. Yeah, it's a nifty deck. The Demir Inverter, having done well, is not too surprising. And this is what I was talking about with regards to Dig Through Time, uh, you know, probably being what's getting the axes. Demir is just like, okay, everyone knows Demir is good, and it's still putting up stats. Blue, The blue-white control list that was in third also runs two Dig Through Time. Yeah. That's not, that's not good <laughs> for Dig Through Time. Uh, a couple of Dream Trawlers in the sideboard of the Azorius Control list. If Dream Trawler was a consistent two of, um, that those extended arts could be a thing for Pioneer down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sold a pair at, for like 15 a couple weeks ago. And uh, when I opened the booster boxes, the, the Theros Collector's booster boxes, it's possible I was supposed to hold on those. I'm not sure. Um but yeah, I don't, that card is doing really well in standard, but I'm not sure it's going to have the chops in Pioneer, even if it is a better Bane Slayer, as some people have said. I don't see blue-white control going anywhere, though. This seems like it's going to be a pillar of the format for some time. Um, you know, they run like Elspeth Sun's Nemesis, Gideon of the Trials, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, two Teferi Time Raveler, a suite of blue-white control spells, draw spells, Supreme Verdicts, etc., that are only going to get better as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, time Teferi is still legal. Uh, you know, I, it's as long as Teferi is legal, I don't see blue white leaving the format. Their mana is good. They get Castle Ardenvale to give them the, you know, token generation angle for the long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So, you know, Pioneer looking inverter dominant. Um, over in there, I think there was a qualifier, uh, today on Magic Online, and I think that was won by a fairly interesting deck as well that was not Inverter, um, but those, that's only a five-round tournament. Uh, this one was a green deck that was running, let's see, four Vivian Arcbow Ranger, four Brazen Borrower, so a, blue, a green-blue deck, four Elvish Mystic, four Llanowar Elves, four Lovestruck Beast, four Reality Smasher, Two scavenging ooze, four thought not seer, four stubborn denial, and three heart of Kieran. So it's sort of like the green black deck we just looked at, but this one's blue instead of black, and the blue is used for borrower, and they have colorless mana to cast reality smashers and thought not seers, and stubborn denial to defend them. Interesting. Oh, I, I every single week I look at brazen borrower every week. <laughs> Uh, because that is in so many decks and it still does. There's so many out there and it's like aggravating. So I'm like, I should be able to pick all of you because you are showing up in so many decks in pioneer and modern and standard, but you refuse to, to, to decrease in stock. Well, it's, it's still but, a pretty pricey card, right? What's Borrower going for right now? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. I guess I just expected the supply to be lower than it is based on how much play the card is. The level of play. It's not a, it's, yeah, it's not about the price. It's just like, how are there still this many copies? Well, yeah, fair. I mean, it's a, it's a mythic out of Throne of Eldraine, which was a heavily open set. The market price on them is 20 bucks. So, I mean, it's already a best of mythic status. Um, and I would argue that the showcase versions are, are where the action is most likely to be um, in the longer term, the, especially because the regular version art is quite pretty lame. Um, yeah, well, the extended it, arts is what I keep wanting to go after, but it well, just never seems well, the, like Well, there's no right. EAs. These are showcases, so they were Show- not, they, don't, they don't have an extended art version. And that's Same part difference. Of why this, so, well, no, because one's in collector boosters and one's not. Well, yes, yes, yes. Same difference as in, like, if I say the extended arts for a showcase card, I mean the showcase version, right? Like, the, sure. the, yes. the fancy one. And important to know that to be, there is a huge difference between, say, Uro extended arts and Brazenboro showcase. Um, the, the the presence in regular booster packs makes it, is, is a very big deal. Yes. Um, showcase versions of Brazenboro start at 32 or so right now, 46 results. Uh, argument could be made that these are even more likely than, say, Foil, Dryad, or Emery to make a move, given that they are mythic and have similar inventory levels, similar ramps. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, we still got a, a bunch of stuff to pop through here. So much happened while I was at the tail end of my vacation. First off, what do you think about this Jumpstart product that they announced? I don't know what to think about any of them, to be honest with you. There's too many. Okay. There's too many things to have thoughts about. Um, I Yeah, this is definitely aimed at ca- newer and casual players. But it does seem like the reprint risk is high. Well... It's high in the sense that they are printing a ton of cards, yeah, and only thirty. Reprints. Yeah, and only thirty-seven of them are new cards. Um, and we need to see what the themes are for the set. We've only seen hints at a few so far to really know what the risk is. Um, but the. They're using a very similar methodology to what they used with the uh, mystery boosters in the sense that it seems like every slot is its own sheet, which is going to make, and I think there's no, I think they said there's no mythics in the set, but some packs have two rares and there's no foils in the set. So the foil reprint risk is relative, is non-existent, um, and it sounds like there's no mythics, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking through this now. I see what you're saying. One in three has an extra rare, but I don't see anything about foils or mythics. So the 500 reprints could be a lot of probably a lot of commons and uncommons. Who is this supposed to be for? Well, there's like a weird sentence in here that I still haven't parsed correctly. There are even special, quote-unquote, mythic rare packs that don't have variations at all. Just the one card list. Because there was only one true unicorn deck. Okay, so that means that there is a ultra rare, a a quote-unquote mythic rare 
themed booster because some of them are Garrick, some of them are doctors, some of them are pirates. And then there must be one, you know, like one in nine packs or something is a unicorn deck with probably some real juicy cards. And it's got a set list. So every once in a while you hit a pack that's just ridiculous. Yes, I think that that is exactly how I read that. Okay. Um, 500 reprints total. They're not legal in Standard, Pioneer, or Modern. Yeah, not legal uh, in Pioneer is weird. Well, no, it's only the... Sorry, that's only the new cards. There's 37 new cards, and they, they are not legal in anything relevant except Commander, Legacy, and Vintage. So okay, that's, yeah, that's, I, I, that tracks, I guess, right? So the, the biggest opportunity here is clearly those cards. Like, whatever the top five cards for Commander are out of this set are going to be pretty hard to come by because of how big the set is it's a really big set and you can't just and a lot of i would imagine that what's going to happen here is it's only going to get it's going to have a relatively short hype cycle in between other big products the you know icoria and um the core set for the summer uh this is coming out really close to the core set i'm pretty sure so People will draft this for a few weeks, I would imagine, and then move off of it. Like, we'll be middle of summer, people are doing their outside, outdoor stuff, and I, that's the kind of situation where you end up with new cards being worth money. Who's who's even going to draft this, right? Like, how, how many people are really going to be eager to sit down and play games of There's a pre-release weekend, start. so it'll probably do pretty well that weekend. And then bigger places like your, you know, your four four hundred one games, your face to face games, your mox boarding houses in North America, will maybe do these on demand for a few weeks. But I can't see it pushing out past that. No, I don't either. I, I that seems like it'll be hard for this to get a lot of traction um, beyond that pre release weekend. It's just like who's who's the market for these? You know? Now we need to, now we need to see what's included. If this is, if this is a like low slung set with not a lot of high value reprints that doesn't have a lot of, you know, speculator collector demand, then it could become, it could become the boxes could become pricey down the road because if it doesn't, if they underprint it and it doesn't sell that well, then, but people want to draft it down the road with their friends. Those, you know, those boxes can end up going from whatever 90 to 150 over the course of three years um and if there's pretty good reprints in here or those 37 new cards are filled with a bunch of really good stuff with for commander but they're pretty tough to come by because they're, it's 37 out of hundreds of cards so you can't just crack a booster box and get the things you want which will lead a lot of commander players to instead of buying a box of it they might just target the singles which is mm-hmm. going to drain the singles pretty fast and the stores are not heavily motivated to be cracking boxes to sell singles past the first couple weeks because this doesn't feed into standard pioneer or modern so they don't want to get caught holding all those singles forever and ever you know they're all about the quick turnover so i think there could be a really good set of opportunities here to get in on both the reprints that have the highest demand profile and take a dive a relatively short dive and then recover and the new cards you know, the five or 10 out of the 37 that are going to be ultra cheap in Europe when somebody breaks breaks a bunch of product for us and does a single sale for the pro traders. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you that it looks like this is going to be 
I, I'm as I'm thinking about this, I feel like your best bet is the EDH staples in those 37 cards, and supply is going to look real high opening weekend. Um, and you know, you just kind of got to go after them knowing that it's going to get better. And then no one's ever going to open more of these because like, why would they not in any meaningful capacity? And, you know, two months, three months later, maybe a year later, uh, some of those are going to be real nice looking because, you know, they might get reprinted, but anything that doesn't like just, is going to have no, no means of entry. Yeah, so this is this is going to be an interesting one. This is the story is apparently that there was like one staffer inside Wizards that was really pushing for something like this. And I guess we haven't really framed it well. The way that this works is that you basically get two booster packs, but they have 20 cards including the lands you need, I believe. And you just shuffle them together and play. So it's basically it's got the lands a, in it too. I think so, because you're basically taking two 20 card booster packs and that makes a 40 card deck. So you just open two packs, shuffle and play. And so they have unique lands in them, and a few of those will probably end up being worth money down the road because they'll be the ones that have, like, whatever, the Seb McKinnon rat art or whatever that rat people want for their rat decks. Um, Mm. And two or three of those will end up being a thing. But the fact that there's no foils in here, you know, blunts the edge on any, you know, foil commander specs that might get reprinted here that that I don't have to worry about. Well, heck, um, if there's no foil, no foils, then all of our picks are totally safe because we only pick foils. <laughs> At least for this product. Yes. However, there there are multiple other risk points this year, including. Um, so, the next thing to talk about is the challenger decks. I guess you and Cliff didn't have a chance to cover these while I was gone. Um, challenger decks are the decks uh, that they put out for people to be able to take to standard F and M. Um, and it, the idea here is that Wizards will sell you most of a decent deck, uh, and then you will fill in the blanks as your budget allows. Um, and the most notable thing about the ones that were announced on February 15th is that there is a whole bunch of reprints, not from last year's sets, but from sets that just came out, which is kind of new to the mix. Challenger decks vendors were originally worried because it was supposed to undercut standard sing- single sales, and Wizard's solution to that was to mostly focus on cards that were going to rotate in the coming fall. So if the Challenger decks come out in the spring, most of the reprints in them have already had a year and a half to sell, um, you know, anywhere from nine months to a year and a half, depending on when they came out. But in this particular uh, swath of decks, they have a heavy focus on cards that... Um, came out, for instance, in Throne of Eldraine or the Core set. And I actually sat down with Gavin Verhey for a few minutes at Worlds, because he was wandering around, um, and pointedly asked him, like, was that a definitive decision? Like, were you trying to make those cards cheaper? Or was it just that the archetypes that are popular and standard right now require cards from the most recent sets? And he said, yeah, it was much more about, like, filling out the archetypes properly. But, for mm. instance, there's a Fires deck that has four Fires of Invention, uh, has four Narset Parter Avails. So anybody that was in on those cheap, like under a dollar and could have buy listed at 250 to 3 recently, is now facing a 50 cent buy list. Um, they have a Kenrith in them, non-foil. That was previously only available in Collector Boosters through Throne of Eldraine. Um there's a Final Adventures deck 
that has two murderous rider, four lovestruck beast, and four lucky clover, which recently became a thing. Two castle lock queen as well. Glad I got out of that spec uh, when the getting was good. And then there's a red deck that has an ember cleave, only a single copy, thankfully, but three castle embereth in case you were sitting on those, and four torbran, four fervent champion, and four bone crusher giant. So the people that were buying Bone Crusher Giants, hoping for the moon, are going to be set back a ways here. Glad I glad I was focused on extended arts there. That is a bummer if that was your plan. And then, do you believe Gavin when he says it was more about the what makes the deck tick and not the price? Um, <laughs> do I believe him? I, I think the only important it, the important part isn't whether I believe him or not. The important part is that we have to assume this will be the case from now on. Like you, you have to assume that the challenger decks can undercut your standard specs, which makes them even worse than they were before, and means that if you see something like a Bone Crusher Giant or a Murderous Rider or a Lockthwain or whatever get up to an attractive like exit point, then just get out. Don't don't get greedy holding for even more. I think I called Lockthwain a while back on the assumption that it was reprint risk free to go four to eight. But shortly thereafter, I buy-listed most of mine. So, you know, again, possibly pointing people in the wrong direction, given where this this netted out. Now, this they only printed two Lockthwains here, so that's not as bad as it could have been. Um, and the presence of black in the Pioneer meta is probably a bigger factor overall than whether it catches a, 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 a speed bump reprint here. Uh, because lately... The pros have been talking about how both red and black aggro decks just can't compete with the latest tech in the format. So mm. that's more, I think that's going to end up being more of a factor. Um, yeah, the, I was going to say the, the challenger decks and things of this nature are part of why I'm so hesitant to go after standard specs for the most part, because it just seems like so much has to go right for that to work out for you. You know, you're kind of battling uphill. You have to see that the uh, the card is going to be good ahead of other people. So you, you already are basically speculating on something. And then you have to be right about it. And the price has to move in time. And it has to not get nailed in like a challenger deck or something like that. It's You know, the risk on that type of stuff is pretty high. Um, which is kind of why we, I personally am scared away by those types of specs. I mean, they've worked out very well for me. I was talking to you off cast about how much credit I have built up a CK. A lot of that was on standard specs. Yeah, but, 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 but you have but to you're be... doing that by buying a hundred castle Lockthwains at 30 cents when the TCG low was like 55, right? Or something like that. Sure. I mean, yeah, it, you need to be. It's a more involved process, that's for sure. For the armchair listener who who is more of a collector player who wants to play the game more cheaply vis-a-vis this cast, that, you know, buying bricks from Europe is not what, what it's all about. For, for somebody who wants to, you know, play a standard deck, you, you don't have the luxury of necessarily waiting six months either because you can't wait for the challenger deck the next spring if you were looking to play standard. You got to play standard when when it's time to play standard. Uh, Otherwise, you're basically not committed to the format. So mm-hmm. it just means that the you know the players in standard have even less hope of getting their money back from the format 
um, in a reasonable time frame if they decide to switch decks or whatever. Also, we're noting the Brazen Borrower, aforementioned, uh, single copy in the fourth deck. Um, so, Challenger decks are an additional risk on top of all the other stuff that's going on. Moving right along, one of the other announcements was that the Ikoria regular booster boxes, not collector boosters, mind you, um, which have been confirmed. There was a toy sh- uh, industry toy show this week, and it was some of the product that Wizards had on display there uh, proved that collector bo- booster boxes are not dead. They are definitely still present in Ikoria uh, product mix. But the Ikoria regular booster boxes, booster box display, 36-pack uh, boxes, have box toppers. So do a five-year scan here of uh, analogs to this. We had Ultimate Masters with box toppers of key rares and mythics. Um, Set sold very well, had a lot of value in it. But the box toppers tended to peak early and stall out very similarly to what we've seen with, say, Expeditions, what we saw, uh, some people say you are seeing with Extended Arts, um, that anytime the market thinks the card's really good, they tend to overprice it at first. And as supply tends to filter into the market, the price comes back down to reality. Um, we also had, of course, uh, with Battle for Zendikar, Amonkhet Block, Kaladesh, we had the masterpieces, which were uh, randomly included in the booster boxes, but were not box toppers. Um, we don't know what these box toppers are yet, but we do know that they are, quote-unquote, something that magic has never done before. Best guess in our Discord today when we were talking about this was that it could be something akin to the three-sided cards that exist in the Transformers TCG that Wizards also uh, produces. Um, where they have different, you know, Transformers obviously transform, they have a car in a robot mode, and then they could have a uh, powered up mode. So basically you have a card that folds in half, and two sides of that fold are smaller, normal size cards, and then when you unfold it and flip it over, you get a big version of the card. And that, that might be related to some mechanic in Ikoria, that is related to having these giant Godzilla type monsters on the plane on the plane. That's uh, I mean, I could see that. And I know that that's what you guys have been talking about in the discord. I don't know if it'll be quite as grandiose as what was seen in the transformers product. It seems like they might not go that wide on magic, but I think that it's a reasonable expectation. Yeah. So I was looking over the, Wizards Play Network announcement about these box toppers, which is the communications they've basically sent to their vendors trying to get them to order product. And they had they made three main points yesterday. One, every box just flat out has more value. Yeah, they, yeah, they said that. The, the desirability of a given booster box is X, where X is the overall desirability of the set's contents. The desirability of a box of Ikoria, however, is X plus Y, where Y is the desirability of the box topper. Dan Bach immediately, pretty much immediately posted to Facebook uh, thoughts that were very similar to my own, which is that that there's there's a lot of disingenuity to that statement, um, mostly coming from the real math of how box values play out. If every box has a box stopper, then the value of that box is going to be the same as 
any other standard booster box. They will end up se- selling at the same price as the market normally prices booster boxes, unless they are really insane. But my guess is that I, I don't. Th- this could be an experiment for them to try to move up the price of a booster box, given that they don't have manufacturers that suggest retail price anymore. But I, I, I think they're going to encounter a lot of resistance. Because the low-cost operators are still going to be motivated to move on volume instead of price. Sure. And that's going to remain a consistent way to make profit on standard sales, especially when margins are so thin. So I agree with you that that's... Wizards marketing there to the distributors is is curious. So so the the most realistic result is that assuming that booster boxes still sell for the same price at retail and eBay and Amazon and whatever, um, is that the presence of the box topper suppresses the value of the other cards in the set for the time that it's in print. So you have cheaper mythics. It becomes harder for the Uro of the set to break out hard. Um, You know, the Croxa has a lot more trouble getting targeted to go 10 to 20 um, because too much, if, if there's, 10 to $20 in value in that box topper, then you're, you've got to, that 20% of value has got to get removed somewhere and it's going to get removed from the EV of the rest of the box. That's exactly what happened with inventions, expeditions, and what have you, masterpiece series, right? Is that those cratered the value of the standard cards because there was so much tied up elsewhere in the pack. Now, do we know, are the box toppers strictly, uh, at release like how long are those boxes topped sounds like every it sounds like it's just a thing like every every booster box has one it's not just because it's not a buy a box giveaway it's not like they're sending the buy a box card to the lgs and you only get them opening weekend this just sounds like any box you buy anywhere will have one same as Mm. ultimate masters i don't know exactly what to think like well so, hmm. so then you do have price suppression on the pack value on the standard card prices because of the fact that every box is getting, you know, free $20 or whatever. But at the same time, it's not like it's as much as it was uh, for inventions, most likely. Hmm. So I guess that I would think of a permanent box topper on a standard set as something like a masterpiece light. One of the questions is, is it a masterpiece series? Like, are there are they cards that are not legal and standard? That seems to make the most sense because we know collector boosters still exist. And if collector boosters still exist, we can assume that there are still extended arts. And if there are extended art versions of the cards in the set, it seems odd that the box topper would be yet another version of those. Like, they, they must know that regular pack foil promo foil promo planeswalker silver foil extended art extended art foil is enough (laughs) right like they can't be going for a fourth for like a fourth or fifth treatment maybe on their their banner monsters well it could be that the showcase it's also possible that showcase this is showcase versions but with alt art. That would be my second choice. I think my first choice is that it's basically a masterpiece series. 
it's a mix between masterpieces and ultimate masters. Ultimate masters, the box toppers were from the set, but they were extended art. Masterpieces were not from the set. They were just related thematically. I would think that these are probably related thematically and not in the set. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't think it's worth guessing. Like, it just seems like a fool's errand of all the various permutations. And Wizards has been doing so much so differently so often that, like, okay, like, it's just going to be what it is. And, you know, guessing this right or not, we don't know. It's None of this is really actionable. So I'm just content to just sit back and see what happens, I think. All right. So that's uh, Ikoria. We'll, of course, be out there trying to you know, keep our ear to the ground with any other information that appears on that. And then I guess the final uh, announcement of the day was the newest secret layer. Uh, this is uh, yet another one. I feel like we just got the Theros gods. Was was I gone for that? Yes, you were, because you did your little nap back of the napkin math on that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Theros god. Values. Yeah, that was like that was like day three or something. So that was not even you know, a week ago, and now we've got another announcement of another secret layer. This one is targeted uh, for International Women's Day, which is nice. Uh, it features five of the most iconic, in theory. I, I, my, my quick scan of that seemed like they probably could have picked even more iconics. Uh, uh, like Avacyn. Or, <laughs> or something like that. Like um, I'm, I'm super down Yoda. with Una, Queen of the Fae. Looks fantastic art and is a high demand card. I've been selling a lot of it lately. Um, Captain Sisse uh, is a great commander card. Uh, Marin of K- Clan Tel- Nel Toth is a strong commander and that's good art. Narset Enlightened Master is a great commander and that's strong art. Saska the Unyielding seems like the worst of the bunch. Art's not particularly fantastic and I don't think the deck is all that fantastic um, for commander. Also interesting that they moved the price of these up to $50, presumably a combination of wanting to test that price point on five cards and the fact that this is a uh, $25 of each unit sold is going to the Girl Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. Um, so they had to bump it up so they could still get their margin. The, the reason you heard me kind of making a little bit of noise about this on Gas earlier is that it's... it's, it's, it's a little, and you know, Dan Fournier was tweeting about it, and I think he had kind of a good take that it's, you know, it's feminism, but it's a capital, very capitalist version of it where they're you're charging pig, you're, you. You're piggybacking on the sentiment without really making a statement. Uh, you're saying I am? Oh, your Wizards is. Yes. Yeah. 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 We're going to, you know, we're going to take this opportunity and co-opt the Women's Day to sell you a bunch of magic cards for an extraordinary amount of money you know realistically given that we're talking about five magic cards for 50 bucks and we get a big tax write-off because we're donating a bunch of the money to charity and you get to feel like you did something good and it's like uh, like i i i I, you know i'm just i just find it a little i'm I'm a little cynical about it that's all i i think that's fine i mean it's still it, it is what it is it still goes to a decent charity i mean you i think you could have done better picking a charity but that's makes sense for a big toy company to ch- choose the most benign one possible um it's also interesting to point out these don't as of the theros release and in, and continuing here there's no magic online uh component to it 
So you can't, you're not getting that like three to ten dollar, and I think I got some ridiculous amount on the first set of them, like seventy bucks or something, um, from Goatbots. But we're, even in the most the ones where they were doing it, it was down to more like three to ten dollars a value you could mine by flipping the codes to Magic Online. Um, that's no longer present. And in the Theros one, I think I got seven dollars or eight dollars or something selling the arena sleeves on eBay um, the day that I ordered. This one is down to one code for a digital sleeve, and I think it's only for Saskia. Yeah. So arguably the worst of the five um, gets you some card sleeves on Arena. Um, so I don't know what those are going to go for. I would imagine somewhere between 3 and $7 probably again. So that's worth factoring in. It might mean that the price of it is only is more closer to 45 than it is $50. Um, I, would, I would expect these will probably be solid like i'm not going to go super deep but i might pick up somewhere between one and four sets uh i think una sisse and marin and narset will probably get to 15 or 20 given a couple years and that could be a reasonable double up that could could happen a lot faster i mean if all the incels decide they don't want this product because meh 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 women's international women's day then and it sells poorly then there could be a lot fewer of these <laughs> than otherwise might be the case, in which case the, the price on the singles will go up that much faster. Um, I I had kind of a separate read on it. I, I didn't really like it all that much um, because I didn't think the cards included were all that impressive. Uh, Captain Sisse is definitely a good one. Uh, I, 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 I You know, the rest seems so... I don't want to say mediocre, but like lower demand than you might see they might have chosen, right? Like if there was an Avacyn or maybe an Eoria in here, I might have been like, oh yeah, this is going to do really well. But, um, oh, Marin, Marin's a good one. But like Saskia, nobody cares about, I don't know how people care about the Enlightened Mentor. So given that the price tag is $50, so you have to hit 10 bucks a piece on these basically, Sask is going to be a dollar, two bucks. Nope, don't think so. I don't think you don't think Sask is going to be two or three bucks. Air cards have been. I I would say five. Like the these have held value. Like keep. Have you taken a look at the um, Eldrain Winter Basics lately? Uh, They're way above what I thought they were at. And Secret Layer and all the way through. So um, my, my guess is that these play out as a reasonable, not a home run, but a solid single on the MGG finance side. Because um, I think at least three of them, if not four of them, have strong enough commander demand that they will be popular. Um, and, I, you know, there's still this problem with secret layers, people claiming that the foils bend too much, and we'll see how that plays out over time. But... Yeah, I, I can pick. I can see myself picking up a few sets of these. I'm still in the testing mode with Secret Layer, and so far I've been satisfied. So, the one Secret Layer with the the five color guys it was Reaper King. Uh, and who Reaper was the King, other one? Scion of the Ur Dragon, or was it just the Ur Dragon? Yeah, just the Ur. Scion of the Ur Dragon. You're talking about kaleido- kaleidoscope killers. Just the Ur Dragon. Yeah, 
Sign of the I think it was just the I think it was just the Ur Dragon, right? Reaper King and was Progenitus? Right, the the Ur Dragon. And was it Progenitus? Um, was he the third one? No. I think it was the Ur Dragon, the Scarecrow guy, and let me just see. I should know this. Yeah, Sliver Overlord. That's the one. Sliver Overlord. So seven, twelve, and fourteen. Uh, 26. So that is sitting at about $35 yes, remember, right now. These come with plain stained glass planeswalkers. And for International Women's Day, that probably means that they come with Liliana, Chandra, or Nisa. Assuming they do it. But they probably will. It, well, here's, here's the other thing worth pointing out. The Theros ones showed up, and my initial assumption was that that release was going to have the missing planeswalkers we hadn't gotten yet. Probably in the colors related to the gods. Well, no. It turned out that they did color code the planeswalkers to the gods, but they also gave people ones that had already been released before. So now we have to assume that it's not that the planeswalkers could be released multiple times, and maybe that's going to go on all year. I think best case is that they do it for the first six months of the year. Worst case is they do it all year. If stained glass planeswalkers continue to get handed out for another 10 secret layers, then I'm all about selling them <laughs> once they're in hand because we're not at peak supply yet. Mm-hmm. But that said, they do add minimum like $5 of additional value to these boxes. And on average, it's probably closer to 10 to 15 because if you hit something like a Teferi or a Chandra or a Nicobolas or a Ashiok or whatever, whatever, you're adding some pretty significant long-term value. And and some of those are going for big money. Like Liliana is a lot. I think stained glass Liliana market price is $117.50 right now. Ooh. So let's say you have a one in five chance of pulling a Liliana out of your Women's Day box. Then that adds $20 in value to the box. Well, I mean, that's solid for sure. Um, are you selling these? Were you selling your seal? They're cracking them. I haven't even laid hands on them because I shipped them to the U.S. and have not taken possession. Mm. So I'm looking so at the... I am we looked at the, to the game and catching up. <laughs> we looked at the kaleidoscope. I looked at the kaleidoscope killers. That MSRP on that was 40. TCG low on those cards is 35. Uh, but I but there's a, the planeswalker I know, and then restless in peace looks lo- was MSRP at thirty, sold at thirty, and looks like low is thirty to thirty five right now, uh, probably closer to thirty five. So the you know cracking them and selling them as singles, it you're you might be able to make out ahead of the curve after fees, maybe. So, like, if you had a Kaleidoscope Killers and you just got your hands on it today, if you sold all those cards at TCG Low and then ate the the ten percent, you know, in fees, you're down close to ten bucks. So that there Planeswalker was, has to make up that value. There was an earlier exit on Kaleidoscope Killers, though. It has drifted down since it was in the in the spotlight. Well, um, it 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 peak. What what we've seen with the secret layers is because of the way that they are inventorying them where they print, let's call it roughly 10,000 copies, and then if it sells more than that, those sales are delayed. Like, th- those shipments are delayed by quite a lot. Like, people are 
people still don't have delivery dates on their rat orders. And they're being told by customer service, they outsource customer service, that they might not get them till March or April. Whew. So it really matters what time of day you order these things in terms of whether you're going to be in position to get max value from an MCG finance perspective. If you really want on the secret layers to be in the first like half hour of orders, because being in the later half of the day pretty much guarantees you're not getting yours for months, at which, in which case you are, some of the potential exits will just not be available to you. Um, and the sweet spot from the people in our Discord that have been really on the ball has been ordering really early, as soon as they arrive, flipping them or pre-selling them once they have their, their shipping confirmation from Wizards. So like once you know it's arriving Monday, go ahead and sell it on Saturday. Once you get it Monday, ship it back, flip it and ship it back out. And in that window where FOMO has set in, somebody missed the order window and really wants the set, but most of the people don't have inventory yet to sell to those people. That's been a, has been the primo exit spot where you can, maybe you're only getting like plus 20, 25%, but maybe you get to keep the stained glass planeswalker to flip on top of that. And, you know, you got it in such a short period of time that if you can do it five, 10 times a year with the secret layers, it could work out really well. It could be a really excellent compounding vehicle. I, the, the, other, the other thing with this women's set, again, is that Liliana's over 100. Nissa is 67 right now. Chandra is at 50. And so it just so happens that some of the female walkers that seem best suited to show up in the set are going for a lot. Like even Jaya, Venerated Fire Mage, which is not a major card by any means, but because it only showed up in one other product so far, still goes for $30 plus. So does Vivian. I think that the... So I totally buy the whole... Um, the timing aspect of this. I don't doubt that whatsoever, that there's a right, you know, buying early in the day means that you're getting your copies way ahead of everyone else because you're getting that pre-allocation. You don't have to wait for shipping. And that there's that, you know, that 48 hour window essentially where you, you can, knowing what you know as an experienced operator, you can sell your copies before they're in hand instead of waiting for your copies like, those people who might be a little, you know, maybe the guy who's buying it because he wants one of the cards and plans on selling the other four. He's not as aggressive about it as we're going to be. So I, I can accept that there's value to be made in that, you know, in a window. And then the stained glass walker. Yes, there's value on top of that. I wasn't disputing that. I was just looking at the known includes. Um, the amount of these they're making and how fast they're doing them, they're going to be misses. Right. Like I can't imagine that every single secret layer is going to be a whole run. And I mean, look at the I mean, the shit, the, the throne of all drain collectors boosters looked fantastic. And it was like, wow, these were awesome. It is time to get on the train. And then the Theros ones came out and it was like, go yourself like <laughs> they were not good. Um, so you had one. The very next set, they they fell short. So I'm not. So I guess my thinking is that like there will be products of like this that aren't going to be good. Is it going to be this one? Well, I don't like the looks of it. I think the price is high, and I think these cards are mediocre. I think Marin is good. I think Captain Sisei is solid. I think Saskia is worthless, and I think Narsa and Una are definitely low on the. 
appeal, but but if they're only putting the female planeswalkers in and th- what are the three out of the five of them are worth forty dollars or more, then that changes the math. Yeah. Um, but, and I accept that. And I accept that. There are some cheaper planeswalkers too, but it, there are quite a few over at least ten dollars out of the females. So if if I'm right about that hunch, then I I think the value is going to be there. The um, so I mean that, that that's a lot for us sum total. Uh, four new products to talk about. Um, I think we missed a little thing though. We forgot to out of the cards to watch pick our favorite. Mm, yeah, What's we did your favorite this week. Uh, this is going to sound conceited, but I think it's the beast within just because nope, I think that's right. The supply is so low. Uh, yeah, I think the, the statistics around the card are the best, uh, in terms of the ramp, the lack of available resupply, etc. Um, but you're going to have to get in and get out within three to six months because and, and fade that commander product to extend that runway uh i agree i agree that like that i love the numbers on beast within but the release date thing or the i'm sorry the commander product is a concern for sure all right so uh i guess that's a wrap uh where can people find you online travis uh, i am for better or worse always on twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, and yourself? Yes, and find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com. And I'm usually uh, haunting our Pro Trader Discord, helping all the members get max value out of the program. Uh, also, like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. It's basically just $1.50 a week, folks. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles to buy the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 208. This is officially the end of the fourth year. Uh, we, we did about a big one at 200, but 208 is four years worth of episodes. So next week Woo-hoo. is the true start of year five. Wow, that's crazy. Congrats, partner. Yeah, this is a long damn time. I started this when I was, I turned th- 12, 12. You were like 12. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Dang. I've done this aged, a long time. Aged a lot. We have done this time. podcast longer than most people listening have had a serious relationship. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>